Welcome to the Relentless Courage Podcast. My name is John Howard, husband and father of three, ultra-endurance athlete, and business owner. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while now, a couple months, probably a month anyways. I want to retell my Superior 2019 story, uh, reading it, and I want to add some things in as we go. I want to do it all in one shot, though. So it's not broken up from day to day. I did that project where I I took a snippet of, I actually read it, uh, read like a minute or a minute and a half every day, every other day, every third day for for, uh, a good month anyways. I think I finished it right around Christmas and I started it right around Thanksgiving. It was a really fun process and a cool way to uh, break it up for me to kind of relive the experience and... um, I was able to ride that superior wave a little bit longer. Now, I've finished superior in the past. I finished in 2014 in 37 hours, 30 minutes, and 34 seconds. That was a slow finish, uh, but I made it. That was my first one uh, after two years of trying to finish the distance. On my third attempt at that distance, I was finally able to finish. And then a couple DNFs, mostly because my head wasn't where it needed to be. And finally, another finish in 2018, which I don't even think I wrote a story about in looking back. And then 2019, this one was different for me. This one really, uh, everything kind of changed for me. I, I, this is the first time, and I've talked to people about this. It's the first time I got to a point where I had quit. In my head, I was completely done, and every other time I'd been to that place, regardless of how my body felt, I've always stopped, and maybe there's some wisdom in that, right? I mean, your body's telling you no, but my mind needed continue this time, and there was a point at mile, about 63, when a song came on, 100 Miles by Crowder, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I still remember exactly where I was. I'm looking out through the cave of my... Uh, the headlamp, just that light tunnel. And uh, it just like brought, it welled up emotion within me that I seemingly had never experienced before. And uh, I think, you know, God tries to get to us constantly. And until we, until we surrender, in some of my reading um, lately from Tozer, until we surrender, we uh, won't be able to experience God in his uh, full glory in the way that he wants to be experienced by us. And he wants us to experience him. And I think right around there, uh, you know, the, between Crosby and Sugarloaf, after the big climbs, during the uh, not so memorable but still painful section of that uh, trail. Uh, So this one might be a little more broken up. I'll probably take a drink of water every once in a while. This is going to be a little bit longer, but I want to get a little bit more. uh, I want it to be easy to digest all in one time uh, for people if they want to read it. And I'm not, I didn't really write this for people that do these events and things. I mean, I think it's cool to read about other, other people's stuff and and then I'm putting it in audio, I think is neat because you can always listen and experience someone else's kind of journey 
and you can still be doing other things. Uh, so, but this is written primarily for, you know, people who don't necessarily think that, uh, that I just want people to understand that there's so much more that is possible than what we typically give ourselves credit for, uh, or we can do more than we think we can. We've got more levels than we think we have. And, uh, that's one thing that I learned and grew. I went way deeper in this 2019 superior experience. And I'm guessing if you know me since that event, everything's kind of different in my life. Um, I kind of know who I am and, and, um, I just try and belong wherever I go. And I am who I am and, and, uh, I'm excited about that. And moving forward, uh, I don't know if I'll ever run a hundred miles again. I honestly don't. I, I don't know what more I can get from that experience than I got. And I'm sure there's more depth there. And, and at some point I'll probably find a way to tap into it. But for right now, I'm looking to serve. I'm looking to work. And, uh, I'm just looking to be involved in, um, communities as much as I possibly can and hopefully inspire people. You know, I stood in my basement uh, a month ago, which is right where I am right now. And I, I kind of threw my hands in the air. I said, God, I know that I spent the last decade of my life running and doing these things. I just don't know what to do next. How can I use that to bring attention to your name and grace and help people? And I tried to dial in on the people that I'm uh, that I want to help out, and and uh, I'm just hopeful I'm able to inspire you. You know, when you do stuff like this, sometimes you feel like you just ramble, and uh, maybe that's true. But uh, I don't know if I can reach one person. I'm I'm thankful, and I'm hopeful that I can reach many more through my message, our message, really. Uh, I don't know how that's going to come about, but I just keep going one step at a time. (laughs) Just like that 100-mile distance, especially late in the game. It's all you can do, one step at a time. So here we go. Let's begin reading the story. A Tale of Two Trips, My Superior 2019 Story. As I sat there with my eyes closed and the warmth of the fire on my legs, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't know who I saw in that moment. You know, I talked leading up to Superior 2019 about the depth of our struggle not being a projection of who we are, but of a reflection of who we are. The interesting thing, I thought, was that the reflection could project someone we don't feel like we are. The reflection could shift in the moment, though, and we have the power to create that shift within ourselves. I don't know if I was surprised by what I saw in the mirror there at Sugarloaf Road, but I knew I needed to shift and become who I really wanted to be and who I knew I was. 
Tuesday, after driving the kids to school on the first day, I came home with the goal of being out the door and on my way up the shore by noon. I had been prepping all week and looking forward to getting away and seeing what type of trail we'd be working with on Friday. I hit Duluth in no time, and before I knew it, I was pulling into Caribou Highlands in Lutzen. Because I left home about an hour earlier than expected, I was the first one to the lodge. I picked up the room keys and headed down to our lodging for the week. It was an hour or so before everyone showed up. When they did, we went and ran. I was eager to dance a little, and my friend John had Eagle Mountain in mind for this one. Climb and slide we did. Well, we didn't slide, but it sure would be fun if that was a thing. Up Eagle, down Eagle, and onto some single track just to get the full experience. I learned something on this run. A new technique. One that would give me something to think about and play around with as dawn approached on day two. We got back to the lodge after four or five miles and it was burrito time. They were good. And once we figured out how to heat them up, we ate good all week. Sherry's mother made burritos for all the volunteers and filled the freezers. So as we kind of figured out on that first night how to heat them up, um, it took a little while because they were all frozen. But man, those things were good. Thank you, Sherry's mom. Wednesday morning, it was up and Adam. We had aid stations to prepare, so after breakfast of eggs, bacon, and some jelly toast with butter, we were off to Oberg, Onion River Road. We dropped some wood, marked some parking, and headed down to Britton Peak, Sawbill. We repeated this all day until around four, we made our way back to Lutzen. I drove down to the lake to soak my legs in Lake Superior. It was a beautiful evening and they had a fire on the beach. I reflected on the happenings of the day and shifted gears to people. Tuesday and Wednesday of race week are pretty isolated. There are just a few of us up there getting some things done. Trail gets marked on Thursday, so Wednesday night is a bit of a feast. 504 is bursting at the seams. We trail people, connect with people we haven't seen for sometimes an entire year. There's lots of laughing and food and pie and ice cream. It's a party. And it's a beautiful time with such an amazing group of people. The more time I spend around events, the more I come to appreciate those times of feasting and laughing. It brings a tear to my eye just recollecting that time. Pretty cool stuff when everybody gets together and the tension starts to build in like a positive way and everybody starts showing up. The energy just continues to grow and and it turns into superior, you know, without the people. Superior is a place. Superior is not an experience. It's the people that make it what it is. Thursday morning is trail marking. The past two years, I've marked the section of trail between Beaver Bay and Silver Bay. This is where everything starts to change. We gather early Thursday morning in 504 and begin the key swap before John walked down the stairs. Things are starting to change. The energy is building and the tension is almost palpable. It's not a bad tension, 
Just a feeling like something really big is about to happen. This year I marked a section of trail between Sugarloaf Road and Kramer Road. Sugarloaf has been a sticking point for me in the past, so I was excited to get familiarized with what comes next. I was lucky enough to be marking trail with Jen and John. Both have served the ultra-running community for a long time, so it was a pleasure to be out there with them. John told stories of trails past, and Jen and I couldn't get enough. We anticipated rain, and thankfully it never came. It took a little over two hours to mark trail, and it was quite possibly the most enjoyable two hours of my entire weekend. What wisdom do you get when you talk about how this section of trail might be a bit tricky to mark? No specific techniques. No detailed instructions. Just make it flow. It's as simple as that. So we did. Upon returning to the lodge after making, after marking, the weight really started to hit me. Everything changed. My mindset went from keeping my mind occupied with anything but actually running to allowing my mind to be occupied with nothing but running. It consumed me beginning when my head hit the pillow for a nap late Thursday morning. You know, some people hear me talk about, well, I think it's about next. And uh, so your head kind of starts to go there, or at least in, in my, my head starts to go there. And I try not to give things too much attention until they are next, actually. But... um you know, when you run 100 miles, at some point, your bo- not only does your body need to be right, but your head needs to be in a good place to toe the line and know kind of what's coming and what to expect. And I've been through the experience enough to have a pretty good idea, at least up until a certain point when kind of the wheels fall off no matter what happens. At least that's what I've come to learn. Uh, Maybe not the wheels falling off, but it definitely goes according to plan for a while. And then usually we have to um, make adjustments and shift in real time to get to where we're going. So it, it literally consumed me beginning when my head hit the pillow, I had to start shifting gears and thinking about um, uh, how I was going to do it. I slept about an hour, and when I woke up, it was full-on calm before the storm. I had gone inside to prepare and would wait an hour for Jesse to get up to Lutzen. He came up so he would have options come Sunday morning no matter what happened during the event. He left his car at the finish. I have no recollection of time at this point. It didn't matter. All that matters, all that mattered was that we had enough time to pack drop bags, check in at the hotel, and get back to the pre-race at 6.30. A nap would have been nice too, and we were able to squeeze in 25 minutes, which is just, it was a great afternoon. Altogether, packing drop bags was the best part of that whole bit. Tom and Nancy would be there, and what a joy it was to share the afternoon with them. We spread out, and this is where Jesse and I really started to connect. We were locked in our own little world. The only people that got to experience that were Tom and Nancy, and the beauty was that they added so much to it. We heard stories from the trail, and Nancy even packed our poop bags. 
One of those bags would be a big part of this superior story. Yeah, that was a pretty cool deal. Uh, you know, I packed drop bags in 2018 at that little house in Silver Bay as well. And I was by myself then, and that was a cool experience. But I think it really helped this year to have Jesse up there to help go through that process. Jesse's my brother. He's my crew. Uh, he's been there all the time uh, for any 100-mile event and many of the other events as well, whether that be skiing or running. But it was really fun to just have those like um, trail conversations off the trail before we got onto the trail and before we got kind of buried in that decision-making process where consequences were heavy. And, and it was just nice to have another set of ears to run things by and and Tom and Nancy with their experience and just um, just the way that they are was so cool. And uh, the conversation was, it was fast and furious as we were, you know, really trying to catch a rhythm with each other and, and get into sync. And, and we did. And then the poop bags, that's just toilet paper and a little wet wipe in a, um, in a Ziploc bag. But the nice thing about those is that you can just carry one or two with you, and if you ever need it, you just use it. And um, I talk about it later on a little bit in the story, uh, and I'll dig in a little bit more. Uh, I mean, we don't need to like get super specific, but it was helpful. I talk about that as I just did. One of those bags would be a big part of this superior story. My favorite part of the pre-race this year was John reading a poem he wrote of Superior. A foot race through the reaches of dark and ethereal northern boreal forests. Not for the faint of heart or the weak-willed. Each and every single footfall is greeted by earth bound by roots and littered with rocks. A challenge fit only for champions the ultimate test of man and woman, thus giving rise to its eternal name, rugged, relentless, remote, superior. The Bears and Packers met in an NFC Central showdown to kick off the NFL season. My brother and I are both football fans and play fantasy football, so it was a nice distraction Thursday night. The last two years, I've slept quite well heading into the day of the event. We got up, got dressed, made sure we had everything we needed to start with, and went to the van for breakfast. I just cook eggs and bacon using a little single burner stove. You got to start with the bacon, use the grease for nonstick eggs. And looking back to the way I reacted to setting and leaving the burning hot pan on my Yeti cooler was a pretty good indication as to how this whole thing would unfold. I'm not sure exactly what I was thinking when I uh, took the pan off the burner, put the eggs onto the plate, and then set the scalding hot pan on my new Yeti cooler. Um, but apparently I didn't think it would burn the top of the cooler. It did, and there's a scar for life on the top of that thing. I was able to smooth out some of the rough edges, which is nice, so it's not sharp at least, but unbelievable. Anyways... That was just one of those things. But the way I reacted was uh, just 
that was just kind of a part of the experience. And that's when, when you take what comes at you in stride in situations like that, and you don't judge the circumstance, you just search for a solution, that is a very powerful place to be. And uh, looking back, that's where I was. It's about a 20-minute drive from Larsmont Cottages to Gooseberry Falls and the start of the Superior 100-mile trail race. I remember the drive as a peaceful one, looking out over the big lake in the east covered with heavy fog. Sun was really shining. This year was different. I was trying to do something I'd never done before. I was trying to finish Superior in back-to-back years. In 2015, after my 14 finish, I quit at Sugarloaf Road. You know, sometimes when you run these things, you don't quit. Sometimes it's just too hard or it's bad luck. In 2015, I quit, and I've regretted it ever since. My goal this year was back-to-back. So that was basically trip one right there. Trip one was kind of the volunteering element, the helping get things organized and set up and prepped to toe the line on Friday morning. And, and this right here, this next, however long it's going to take me to read this, is, the, is trip two. And trip two is the actual race itself. And um, there's... Uh, yeah, it's, it was a fun part to write, but just as enjoyable, and I mean this, is trip number one for me. That entire week, being up there and just uh, being able to contribute to the event and um, help provide, uh, help set up the experience for other people is, I absolutely love that kind of stuff. And uh, it was super fun, and uh, hopefully I'll do it again. Trip two. It was much warmer than I thought it would be at the race start. I didn't take any of the long clothes I thought I might need. Check in, bathroom, John talks, countdown, go. 8 a.m. start. That's pretty much the way your head starts to think. Just one thing at a time, very simple. It's pretty easy to put one foot in the other, really. One foot in front of the other. All right, we're off. Get to the Split Rock River Loop. Get there fairly quickly since it's blacktop and rocks and roots aren't an issue here. Under the bridge and onto the SHT, the river is running, the hills begin. I fall in line with Matt. He says something along the lines of follow me then takes me under a tree branch that fits him but not me. I'm not entirely sure if that's true. That's just what I I remember about the experience. My hat falls off and my sunglasses too as they were on my hat. The hat has fallen 40 feet off the edge of a cliff, but a fellow trail runner finds my sunglasses just a few feet back. I ran in that hat all summer and I was looking forward to running in it for the entire race at Superior too. But yet again, things happen and you have to just move on. Then I came upon a man who had been stung by a bee and is allergic. 
He has much help and a pen in hand. Luckily, another runner also has a pen, and he made it out. Split Rock is a quick turn, probably the quickest turn at Superior, I think. Down the stairs, say hello, fill water, back up the hill, take a right at the top into Split Rock at 9.45 a.m. In 2016, I ran the 50-mile event, and I was actually at the top of the stairs directing traffic. Down the stairs, if you were coming off the ridge from the race start, and then uh, take a right at the top, up the hill, towards Beaver Bay, if you were uh, coming back up from the aid station. It's a steady climb coming out of Split Rock on the way to Beaver Bay. Runnable, though, and that's what we do. Some exposed rock, and it's early enough, so it sort of feels like you just get to Beaver Bay. I had been wearing my Speedcross 4s and switched over to a pair of Hoka's to Finland. Into Beaver Bay at 12.22 p.m. Friday. Always exposed is Beaver Bay to Silver Bay. This year's no different, and it felt a lot hotter than it was just because of the humidity. The sun was mostly shaded by clouds, though, so that was nice. I started in on S-caps here instead of waiting until Mount True D reminded me like in years past. This part was still fairly forgettable. I remember a beautiful day and feeling good coming into Silver Bay. I grabbed a few things and headed off to Tedaguch. Silver Bay to Tedaguch is challenging for many reasons. Into Silver Bay at 1.42 p.m. Friday. The section from Silver Bay to Tedaguch is always memorable for me, and I know it's memorable for a lot of other people too. It's always been memorable for me for the wrong reasons, mostly cramping and dehydration. This year I planned a little better and took S-caps early and often. For the first time I can remember during an event, I summited Mount Trudy and kept on going with no issues. The last little bit of this section is runnable, and that's what I did. Tedaguch is probably my favorite aid station. The chaos at the aid station pretty well embodies the chaos of the trail. It's a beautiful thing. The woods end when the aid station begins, and the aid station ends where the woods begin. It's a whirlwind. Headlamp? Check. Just in case we get to County 6 after dark. Into Tedaguch at 4.40 p.m. Friday. That aid station is chaos. And it's wonderful. There's people along that old like snowmobile trail just everywhere. It is chaos. Sawmill Dome. Three-mile pass and the trail that never ends. This year, surprisingly enough, it did end much sooner than I expected to. I had no GPS, but know that when you go through the two rock walls, there are three miles left. On this section, I remembered back to when my son went to Wolf Ridge with his classmates. I went with, and one night, a couple of other parents and I went on a little hike. We hiked from Wolf Ridge up to Three Mile Pass and back down to Wolf Ridge. It was five miles or so in January. You know, this last year, I just got back actually uh, in January. My sixth grade daughter went to Wolf Ridge and I went with. And we didn't make it all the way to Three Mile Pass, but um, I think it was Tuesday morning. We walked from Wolf Ridge down to Lake Superior and then back up 
to Wolf Ridge, which was about five miles. We did some snowshoeing that afternoon. Uh, we snowshoed to Lake Superior, which was another uh, number of miles. And then that night, uh, another chaperone, new friend of mine, he and I went out and we blazed trail on the SHT. We were going to go all the way to Three Mile Pass, but we had some navigational issues to get getting started. So we were out there longer than we wanted to be, but we didn't make it all the way. We kind of, um, you know, we got to a point and I said, hey, you know, Steve, I, I want to go there, but I think it'd be nice to turn around, get back and, and see the kids before they go to bed and, and all that stuff. And it's a good thing we did. I mean, we could have made it. We had food. We had fuel. It was nice weather. We knew where we were going. We'd figured out the system, but it would have tacked on probably we wouldn't have gotten back to Wolf Ridge until around 11 o'clock, but <clears throat> that would have just been too late with everything else. But um, yeah, back to the event, back to trip two. It rained on this section. The rain, while inconvenient at the time, was welcomed and provided a break in the humidity. The air thinned out after the rain, and it never got stormy, just rainy. Into County Road 6 at 7.25 p.m. Before dark. Finland is next. I tell people Finland is where the race actually starts. You know, as I have thought about my writing... Since I wrote this, I would actually say Finland is not where the race starts. I would say it's probably more like Crosby or even Sugarloaf is where things really get hard. There's a small kind of battle section. I guess it depends on where you're at, and it's probably a year-to-year thing. But for me, it's like Crosby, Sugarloaf, Kramer. Once you get to temperance, you're kind of like, all right, a couple battles left to fight. We can do this as long as everything continues to run the way that it's supposed to. You're ahead of the clock. Nothing goes crazy with the body. You didn't deal with anything too catastrophic early that is going to rear its ugly head late. I was able to get through most of the climbing here without my headlamp and have learned over the years that it's best to go as long as possible without turning it on. The sun is a better guide, and the longer we can put off the light hole, the better. Most of us have probably experienced headlamp. Um, Headlamp for, well, 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock, 10 hours. You start to wonder if you're ever going to be able to see beyond like 3 feet in front of you. I ran a lot here because section 13 is a runnable section of trail. It took longer than I thought it would to get from the break in the trail to Finland. Into Finland at 10 o'clock p.m. Friday. The power I used to give to Finland to Crosby is gone. It's still tough and there are some gnarly parts, but for the most part, this is a runnable section of trail. I don't slow down much, if at all, through this section. I've kind of learned that over the years that running in the night is actually a really good thing to do, especially if temperatures during the day are hot. Yeah, you can't see as well, but the reality of the situation on the Superior Hiking Trail is you're not going to be seeing much 
beyond two or three feet in front of you at any given time, no matter what the light situation. So you can move. And I mean, there's some rooty stuff happening around that Sanju aid station, but it doesn't last for very long. And, um, you know, I've been told by some very experienced SHT runners that if you do this section during the day, it loses its power. And I've done it a couple sections during the day and kind of see it for what it is now. Sanju, while I love it, and it is an aid station with great energy, is a place I try and leave as quickly as possible. I might have warmed very briefly by the fire this year before heading back out on the trail into Crosby at 2.10 a.m. Saturday. The best thing to do here is move. I had some chafing I was hoping to resolve here and was able to do so. Thanks, Nancy. There's that poop bag that came into uh, came in handy. They got a little. Uh, it's not a portable bathroom. It's just a. Uh, it's a permanent structure there at Crosby Manitou, and I was able to get in there and take care of some stuff. And that wipe, let me tell you, really came in handy. TMI. The lack of sleep and the weight of the night begins to affect us here at Crosby. I ate, warmed up posed for a picture, and hit the trail. There are a couple of memorable downs and a couple of memorable ups in the first three miles or so of this section. You kind of work your way down to the river, bouldering pretty much, and then you start climbing. And you keep climbing, and then you think you're done climbing, and then you climb some more, and then you think you're done climbing again, and you keep on climbing. And then eventually... The ups and downs get less memorable, but no less painful. I used a way of moving here that I learned on my Tuesday night run with John and Scott through this not memorable, painful stretch of trail. This is also where that that music hit me like a ton of bricks, man. I could feel the tears welling up in my eyes, and I just knew that I was not alone. There was a divine presence that was with me has been with me ever since that moment. And I don't know what time it was, probably 4, 4.30 in the morning, but amazing. I sought flat spots, something I usually try to avoid on the SHT. What I like to do is find spots on the downhill that are flat that you can use to kind of brace yourself a little bit. And then on the ups, Always looking for places to get your foot, actually get your hip into an optimal pushing position. Um, So which would be kind of toe below the heel. That way you can really drive and push. I rode my feet and let them roll with the trail. This kept me occupied for miles until things flattened out a bit and the sky began to grow lighter and lighter. The last couple miles are flat and runnable. And I actually was able to do some, what I would call at the time, running. Into Sugarloaf Road at 6.35 a.m. on Saturday. So that section alone took four hours and 20 minutes to cover uh, 10 miles. So I'm not going to try and do the math right now because it won't end up going well. But that's pretty slow. I was happy with it. I got where I was going. 
There's a few pictures on the blog post here. If you go to johnhoward.co, you can check out the blog and see. At this point, there's a picture of me sitting in a chair with my eyes closed. And this is what I referenced in the beginning paragraph. And, and the caption says, everything changed for me right here. The, for the first time, I was done in my mind and continued at least reasoning to continue. I ultimately did choose to continue, and although I had to fight a few more battles, I knew I had overcome it once, and I surely could do it again. It was such a, um, man, that was a moment of struggle internally. I, I don't really know how to explain it because it was all, maybe I just took a nap. <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe that's all it was. I just closed my eyes for three to five minutes, fell asleep, and then got up and figured it. I might as well keep going. I knew my family was coming, and I don't know. I don't know what it was. And then the next picture is me smiling, leaving Sugarloaf. And that smile definitely is, uh, I was working for it. But you know what? PMA, positive mental attitude, is a uh, powerful, powerful thing. And anybody who's been through hard stuff knows that as soon as that starts to go, the wheels typically fall off. So the caption on that second picture here at Sugarloaf, I don't know why, but I was genuinely happy to get the heck out of there. I think I might have realized that something clicked in me. And even though I was tired and completely done... I was excited to have experienced what I experienced at Sugarloaf Road. 31 miles to go. To me, that actually doesn't sound like a lot. I know, though, that it will take me half a day or more to get to Lutzen from here. I felt done. The sleep is always a factor here. The hurt is another. It would be much more comfortable to hop in the car and head to the lodge for a nap and a donut. It wouldn't be worth it, though. I know because I've done that before and wished I hadn't since I did. I took my shoes and socks off, slouched back in the camp chair, and closed my eyes. I reflected on everything I'd been through and thought about what would be next. I did not know at the time what my next would be. It would not have taken much in that moment for me to quit. Maybe it would have, I don't know. I went over and sat by the fire and didn't say a word to Jesse. I don't know how long I sat there with my eyes closed. I got up, put on my socks and shoes, grabbed my pack, posed for a picture, and started walking towards Kramer Road. In at Kramer Road at 9.15 a.m. Saturday. No picture at Kramer. I remember more of I remember less of the trail and more of the decisions at Kramer Road. One of the last people I wanted to see coming into Kramer Road was my friend John and his wife. It wasn't you guys weren't my last people I wanted to see. But I knew we were going to have to have a conversation and I just wasn't really in a place that I wanted to have a conversation. But I'm thankful that we did. John mentioned something about not having to do this again for a very long time. And that I should be thankful for my legs. And 
It made perfect sense. Before that encounter, I was done, and he could see the glaze in my eye right away. I sat down at the aid station and told Jesse I was done. As I sat there, as I said that, I looked around through blurry lenses and saw a big white beard. He stood on his tiptoes and searched the station for who I later found out was his runner. He was one aid station off and my brother told me, hold on for a second. He told me I wasn't going to like him very much. I said, you're getting Gustafson, aren't you? He had the most gleeful look in his eye. It was like he had just solved the puzzle and called in reinforcements. There is a bond among us that is difficult to explain. Gusty knows what it feels like to be in this place at this time. He knows what it feels like to have covered almost 80 miles on this trail and want to stop. Right here, in this very place. He wasn't there today, though. I was, and he knew just what to say, and more importantly, how to say it. He said what he said with an empathetic confidence in me that I would get up and finish this thing. You know, Gustafson, the relentless courage you live with every single day, man, is super inspiring. And I want to thank you for being an example uh, for me as I continue to try and live with relentless courage. Thank you, Jesse and Johns. Kramer to temperance was almost mystical as the sun continued to penetrate the trees and lit up the trail in a broken glow. Y'all, I can still see it. Just beautiful morning. Sun's coming through. It's like uh, you can see the individual rays of sunlight penetrating the trees. It was magnificent. It was almost like it was out of a fairy tale. The river ran wild and the ups and downs seemed to never end. Not big ups or big downs. These are just little steep ones, almost like stairs, just up, down, up, down. There's no flat way to get where you're going. That is until I got to the clearing that has been so memorable in years past. It's about two miles from the aid station when the woods open up and we traverse on the ridge before descending down to the Temperance River Road. I texted Jesse I was done and I had about a mile to go here. My family had driven up from the cities and I didn't care. I slowed to a crawl and the last couple miles took about 45 minutes longer than what they should have. I was looking for any way out. I think it was my leg that I was talking about. Of course your leg's going to hurt after however many miles. Little did I know, though, that I was, as I was stalling, my wife and two daughters were sitting at the wrong aid station waiting for me. When they realized they were in the wrong spot, I would have been either long in and out of temperance aid or into temperance and out of the event. It's wild to me how these things work out. My friend Gusty was in the wrong aid station when I needed him to be, and I slowed to a crawl to seemingly wait on my family to meet me at Temperance, even though I had no idea what was happening with them. I ambled down the hill to the road and was greeted by my sister-in-law, Kelly, 
her two boys, my wife's parents, and Eric's, Kelly's husband, who is also doing the 50-miler, his parents. They were way too excited to see me. They probably weren't. That's just the way I felt. All the talk was about what would happen next, and I wanted to hear none of it. I was done. Like before, I kept my mouth shut and went with the general expectation. My wife and two daughters showed up and greeted me with smiles and lots of love. Then Katie and Hannah took off down the trail. I thought, I guess I should probably follow them. So I did. Into Temperance at 12.50 p.m. Saturday. Lots of videos were taken on this section as Katie was with me. So she took a lot of pictures on her phone and and videos. They can be seen over at my Instagram account at underscore John Howard in the Superior 2019 highlight. And I want to say one thing that I didn't write. One One of the things Katie said to me as we were first getting started, you know, her first week of school and... Um, I had been gone all week helping to set up for the event. So I wasn't around to help shuttle kids and get everyone to activities and, and take the load off of her when she got home from a long first week of school. And she drove all the way up on Saturday morning, basically giving up her first weekend of the school year. And I said, God, I was in such a rough spot. I just complained the whole time. Um, not the whole time, but this one, there was a couple, this one thing I said, I was like, gosh, if it was up to me, I would have quit three aid stations ago. And she said, no, it is up to you. And you didn't quit. (sighs) She's right. And, uh, I'm so blessed every single day to share my life with somebody who sees that in me and and is so confident in what I'm capable of. Anyway, at this point, all I needed was a little chatter. I got it. And I had been looking forward to showing Hannah Superior for years. She's eight. She finally made it up and we crossed Carlton's Peak together. Everything hurts so bad at this point that nothing specifically hurt anymore. My pace was slow and my heart was full with Hannah pulling me along and Katie encouraging me with words of praise and praise music. At the picnic table just before the Carlton's Peak scramble, I stopped to empty the rocks out on my shoes. Along came Eric and it was so uplifting to see him out there. He had so many encouraging words and looked great as he was about to attack some familiar trail into Sawbill at 3.30. So the Superior Spring Trail races work their way from north, which is where uh, Caribou Highlands, that's where Superior 100 finishes, south to the top of Carlton's Peak and then back again. That's the 50K. And this year I'll be going for my, I don't even know, it's 8th or 9th Superior 50K finish. So this, the, and Eric's done that event as well. So the trail that we're about to get to, once we get to the little log book at the top of Carlton's Peak, is very familiar trail. We know, you almost start to know the turns in the hills. So you're, you're getting pretty, uh, at least you're getting to a familiar place where you know very, very well what's coming next. And you've covered this sections a lot. And there's not a lot of battles left to fight.
Once you leave the aid station, you're pretty well committed, at least for me. Amy was there. That's my friend Jason's wife. And so were many others. I met Israel, and his energy was contagious. Israel, I'd talked to him uh, a while back. Uh, He's kind of trying to get into the ultra running scene, and uh, it was really fun to talk and, and hopefully provide some insight into the sport. But it was fun to meet him, too. He helped me. Tons of energy. It was awesome. At, at this point, the only way I stop is something happens or I miss cuts. There are just a couple more battles left to fight from Sawbill. I told Amy I had thought of Jason a lot on the trail this year and that he had kept me going at times. Ellie and I were off to Oberg. Ellie has an energy that is very encouraging. She's 12. She was 12. Or no, she was 11. During the race. She's 12 now. She's an amazing teammate. And whenever we would get passed by someone, she would always at the perfect time, just when they almost couldn't hear us anymore, say, you're doing great. You've got this. It's like her timing was just enough to give them a little boost so they could get absolutely everything out of seeing another runner out there on the trail. I've done this section twice with Ellie. And the peace I've felt is like nothing I've ever experienced on the trail before. And I've spent a lot of time on this trail. She has an amazing way of being kind, empathetic, and encouraging. All in the right amounts with perfect timing. Ellie, it was a pleasure to share the trail with you. And the road into the aid station is the longest road ever. Into Oberg at 5.50 p.m., Saturday. Doug slapped me in the ass. Thanks, Doug. Doug Barton. Really got me moving there. I don't know what the heck you were thinking, dude. That's like, you know how many miles and hours I am into that thing? That is disgusting. But anyways, I saw so many familiar faces at Oberg, and it was just wonderful to be surrounded by such an amazing support group of family and friends. Jason was there, and I asked him if he would come with me to the end. He agreed, and off we went. We had a lot of time to get where we were going. I was not moving quickly at all, and light was fading fast. Jason was trying hard to pull me along and just kept disappearing around the next bend. I was trying to keep up, but it wasn't going to happen. I said something about how slow I was moving, and he quickly nipped that negativity in the bud. That was the last of any negative comment or thought, really. It was all about business and getting to the end. We would set goals about how far we could get before dark, and I would tell Jason all about the running style I'd been using that had saved me overnight. Climbing was tough here late. I was needing to climb slow and take lots of breaks. That was probably the slowest bit of climbing I've ever had. Just It's like my hamstrings were just shot. I had nothing left. I had to just crawl up the hill. Probably would have been faster. My pace was slow, but I knew that once I got to the top of Mystery, it was all downhill from there. We're at the point now where we start listening for the river. That's a really good place to be at Superior. Jason's a friend of mine. First time I met Jason was at the Ozarks in 2012. My first 100-mile attempt, I ran with um, Lynn Sari. And she knew Jason because they'd both been a part of the community for a long time. And I remember 
it was almost legendary. I'd seen Jason's name in the newspaper a few times um, for doing some amazing uh, endurance events, Arrowhead and more. And, you know, I, I really studied how he moved through the woods and it was, I actually called the Husveth Hustle. It's just like uh, the ground just kind of gives you what you can take and you just you just move along it as though that's kind of what you were born to do. And Jason moves more freely than most people I've ever seen on that kind of terrain before. And I'd imagine it uh, pretty much crosses over into most, most terrains. But Jason and I have become decent friends over the years, pretty good friends over the years. And we've done some good hard training blocks up there at Superior and spent some hard miles together. And uh, we met up a few times here in the Twin Cities and Jason, I just love, uh, I'm so thankful for our friendship, man, and um, I acknowledge you for all you are and all that you uh, are still becoming, and I just, uh, I can't wait to see what's next uh, for you, for me, for us, man. So, the mood changed, though, as we would be in with plenty of time to spare. We hit a little service road and heard the river. If you've ever been at Superior... And you've heard that Poplar River. You know the feeling right now in this story. I stopped at the bridge over the Poplar. Shut off my headlamp. And just soaked in the moment. You could see the lights of the finish line off in the distance. And you could hear the cheering for each runner as they came in. Jason and I walked it in until we left the road. As we ran towards Caribou Highlands, I heard the most beautiful voice. It was my queen, my Katie. She was so excited to see me and the girls joined and Jason joined me and Jason to the finish line. We made it. I still don't know exactly how. This one was hard. In the finish at 9.12 p.m., Saturday. So there's a bunch of pictures on my website here. And there's a picture of Jesse and I with my buckle. It's the last one before kind of the conclusion. And, um, you know, for Jesse's birthday, I, I couldn't think of what to get him. And then I thought, you know what? He's been with me at every single event. And crew is a very thankless kind of thing you just want you you you're so supportive and it's way harder to navigate those roads and the traffic and the stuff and all the people and and you're up all night just like everybody else and I said Jess I I can't think of a better way to honor you right now than to give you my buckle from 2019 and so for the uh For his birthday, December 8th, I gave him my 2019 Superior Buckle, and I haven't seen it hung or uh, displayed anywhere, but I hope that uh, he's proud of that thing because, Jesse, you earned it, man. You earned it just as much as anybody else, and uh, I'm so grateful that you're my brother and we get to share these amazing moments together, so thank you. Um just for who you are, man. Be who you are, bro. 
I don't feel like I'm able to summarize Superior 2019 in a word or two. There was so much to it and so many different pieces that fit just perfectly into place. The greatest lesson I learned this year was that even when you've quit in your mind, continue doesn't need to happen real fast. But no matter where you're at, keep going, keep moving, get up and run, get up and walk. At some point, it won't hurt quite so bad and you'll have made ground towards your goals. That's my superior 2019 story. Finish time, 37 hours, 11 minutes, and 42 seconds. Pace, 21 minutes, and 46 seconds per mile. There are more photos and videos over on my Instagram account at underscore John Howard in the Superior 2019 highlight. Like I mentioned earlier, this has been something I've been wanting to do now for probably a month or so. Just roll through this story, add to it a little bit, kind of freestyle, and put it all on one audio file so that it sounded, hopefully this sounds good, it sounded all kind of unified and like it was recorded at one time. And uh, I'm hopeful that this story is entertaining. I'm hopeful that uh, it gives a little glimpse into the, the whole 100-mile experience in a couple of different ways. Trip one on the back end, how things happen leading up to an event like this and the amount of uh, energy that it takes to uh, just set up for it. And that doesn't even be, that doesn't even get into the logistics of the associations, the counties, um, all the true back-end stuff that John works so hard to, to manage and take care of and organize. But, uh, and then also the running of it. So the the actual execution of getting from point A to point B. And, uh, you know, I... I write about the memorable parts. There was so many times and, and things that were just uh, the peace on the trail. And, and when you get to that depth of struggle, you know, especially for me right now, that, that section between Kramer Road and Temperance, there was a lot of battles. And I think I kind of like, I kind of stopped fighting a little bit. I stopped fighting. I just moved. I just went. And before I knew it, I was at the top of the ridge, and then I started making excuses. This hurts. That hurts. I can't. Man. Yes, you can. And hopefully, hopefully it's inspiring. Like I said at the beginning, I stood here in my basement where I'm recording this podcast episode with Race bibs lining the walls, Rocksteady running posters. I mean, there, I don't know how many there are. There's probably 30 Rocksteady running posters, every single one that I can get my hands on on the walls down here. Medals galore from the last decade of running trails. There has to be more, though. 
There's got to be more. And I'm trying to figure out what that is. And I'm hopeful that this is inspiring. And uh, shows you that you are capable than so much more than you even think. Because if I can do this, if I can finish 100 miles after, you know, a handful of years ago, just coming out of this cave of alcohol abuse and addiction, and we can get into this 100-mile world... Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Where there is commitment, there is always action. And the cool part, action can inspire commitment. So I hope you enjoyed my story. Uh, I get asked about this stuff a lot. Actually, I don't get asked about it as much as I used to. Um. Because I think a lot of the people that I know know me and know that this is kind of who I am and what I do. But I hope that this might uh, provide a little bit more insight into kind of what this whole ultra running thing and 100 mile idea is all about. Because I personally think it's pretty stinking cool. Um, I think, you know, the, the depth of the struggle is a cool thing. I think the overcoming is a cool thing. I think the discipline it takes to um, see it through is a cool thing. And all the different elements that go into play from six, eight months, ten months prior to the event itself, all the way up until sitting in the little house in Silver Bay Mapping out what's going to go in each drop bag so that during the event, hopefully you're as prepared as you possibly can be. But knowing that you, there will be a time probably where you won't have, where you won't be, where you're going to have to be creative, ask good questions, make Decisions in real time that get you closer to where you're going. And live today with relentless courage. I hope you liked the episode today. Please share it with someone that you feel might benefit from the content discussed. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at underscore John Howard. That's J-O-N-H-O-W-A-R-D. Subscribe to the newsletter at johnhoward.co. Join our happy group. Be made aware of new podcast episodes, product releases and sales, as well as stories of adventure. Live today with relentless courage.